Good morning, Bethany. It is, oh, wow, that was outstanding. Judy, good job. <laughs> you, you warmed them up for me. Well, it's such a delight to be here. I invite you, uh, if you have your Bible, to take it and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I did not check what that is in a pew Bible, so when somebody finds that, could you just call it out? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 952. As we consider God's word this morning. So just wanted to let you know that we're going to be slowly making just a few changes here in the worship service as we move on. And one of them is what you just heard today, which is a ministry report. We would love to, uh, we think uh, as a congregation, you should know what's happening here at Bethany. So much, so many outstanding things are happening, which we never hear about. And so Frequently, not every week, but frequently we're going to have someone pop in and just say, hey, this is what God's doing in my life. This is what God is doing through your giving here at Bethany. This is what God is accomplishing in the larger kingdom. Uh, and so it was great to hear that, that uh, report from uh, women's ministry. We're also going to have the kids pop in very frequently from time to time. Got a couple of dates picked out, uh, especially around Palm Sunday and Easter, so that you can know that Bethany is a family. And that is important to us as we imitate Christ. Uh, we seek to impact our, our uh, community for all of eternity. We want to be unified as the body of Christ. So uh, how many of you uh, are glad, uh, would rather be here than be in prison? Say amen. All right. Well, two of our elders actually are in prison. Um, Larry Fox and Gene uh, Pierce are, uh, drove all through the night on Friday. They are down in Alabama. Alabama? Alabama, uh, in which the prison system in Alabama opens up for one week a year, and over 400 Christians converge, and they go out into all of the prisons throughout this, the state, and they minister the gospel. Isn't that amazing? So, uh, Lord willing, one of them, uh, if they let him out, will be back next Sunday, and we'll hear a little report for what God did there. So, um, I'm telling you this right now. At the conclusion, I will stand up here to close the service out. Remind me to pray for them. Okay, so that's a little task for you. Um, we are in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, that's where we're going to be in just a moment. So, I was noting that uh, today is the 26th of January. So, we are 26 days into the new year, and I'm imagining that most of you have let go of those New Year's resolutions by now. All right? So, uh, we have not gone to the gym three times a week, have we? No, we haven't. Don't, don't just sit there all innocent. We have not gone vegan or paleo or keto or South Beach or Adkins or Hallelujah, right? We just haven't done that. Uh, we have not yet lost or made significant progress in the 15 pounds plus that we need to lose. We have not saved more or spent less. Our intentions to read through the Bible were still hanging in there, but this week we hit Leviticus. And we're teetering on the edge, right? New Year's resolutions. You know, I, I was uh, reading uh, on the net this week that according to a study, only 8% of people who make New Year's resolutions actually achieve them. So in a room of 200, that means 16 of you are actually still strong on your New Year's resolution. Well, this message is for the rest of us, okay? <laughs> you know, all of us are looking to improve our lives, None of us are happy where we are. Bill Hybels calls that holy discontent. I think that's a good thing. 
that we know that God has created us for something more, something bigger, something better. But how do we get there? It can feel so daunting. And so many times Christians, uh, you know, okay, um, uh, you know, losing weight or, or uh, you know, reading more uh, literature or, or not watching so much TV or whatever those, those things are that the world puts forward as a, as a, as a New Year's resolution. We, we Christians are so good at heaping additional guilt on top of us. So we, we pile onto all of that, our, our spiritual goals as well. Man, I just need to be more effective in my witness, and I, I, need, to, I need to reach out to others, and I need to, I need to give more, and, I need to, I need to, and we, we amp ourselves on all of the things that we feel like we ought to be doing. Am, am I alone here? Say amen if you, you hear what I'm saying this morning. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. I've got great news for you, okay? Now, all of us are looking for a, I guess, a silver bullet. You know, what will it be? Uh, what book can I read? What prayer can I pray? What thing can I do to become that disciplined person that, that I really want to be, that I, I'm just kind of thinking that God wants me to be? Here's perhaps one of the most important things. This is a, a, a write down, if you're writing down on your notes here. The secret to the Christian life is not willpower or self-discipline. Huh, What? It's God awareness. Now, we'll be getting into this, so you see, you don't have to believe it right on the front end. The secret to the Christian life is not willpower or self-discipline. It's God awareness. Now, we're in the midst of this series, or actually two weeks in on this series on the Holy Spirit. The idea is that when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit... The third person of the Trinity, God himself, came to make his home with you. And accompanying that is all of the spiritual power that we, that we need to live the Christian life is already in us because we are in Christ. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that in us is Christ the hope of glory. And so we have this resource the thing that keeps us from using it, the thing that keeps us from perhaps victorious Christian living is not willpower or self-discipline. It's the awareness that we have this power. So we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. I don't know if you know much about the, 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 the church at Corinth, but it was messed up. Okay, I mean, we think we got our issues here, and we do. I'm, I'm not going to lie. But you talk about a messed up church. If you have your Bible there, and you kind of look back in the context, we're going to find the passage that we're talking about now is written to, to a church that was struggling with immorality. And I mean, like, immorality of some of the worst sort. If you were to look back through this book, you would find out that there were divisions in the church, that there was gluttony in the church, that there was uh, lawsuits going on, they were taking each other to court, that there was gossip, that there was, I mean, it was just... It was just a dumpster fire, this church. And so Paul, in writing this, he gets down to to chapter 6, and he says, okay, I'm going to share with you how you can begin to get victory over some of these things. And this is what he says in verse 19 and 20. Don't you realize, saying to this church, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you 
and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Now, so follow me with the argument of what he's talking about. He's saying, church, you're struggling. You're struggling with the Christian life. There's immorality. There's temptation. There's difficulty. There's struggle. There's discouragement. He doesn't say to them, suck it up, buttercup. Read your Bible more and just say no. He doesn't, he doesn't browbeat them. He doesn't tell them they're undisciplined. He doesn't tell them to, to work harder. He says, here, this is, this is something I want you to know. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. So the first thing that I want us to see out of this passage that Paul is talking about is, in, in this key to the Christian life, is, that, uh, is the fact of God's presence. The fact. Don't you realize, he says, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's kind of a, that, that phrase, don't you realize, uh, some other translations say, don't you know, is, a, is kind of a code word phrase that appears again and again in the book of 1 Corinthians. When you say to somebody, don't you realize, you're telling them something that they probably should have known, or maybe they did know at one time, but they've kind of forgotten, right? So, uh, don't you know that the Patriots aren't in the Super Bowl this year? <laughs> right? Don't you know that? Everybody knows that. If you don't know that, man, you're not, you're not tuned in. See? It's something that everybody knows, but you might have forgotten. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, makes this, in verse 6, he makes this statement, don't you know or don't you realize that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Hey, we're in Pennsylvania Dutch country. We know what that is. You put that yeast in there and a little bit of water or oil and the flour and you mix it up and then you, you roll it into a bowl and you put it in a bowl and you, and you put it in a warm place and that yeast spreads through. Yeah, yeah, everybody knows that. Don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Chapter 6, verse 9, he says, don't you know or don't you realize that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, sure, right. I mean, that's what we need Christ for. No unrighteous person is going to... Yeah, we know that. Chapter 9, verse 24. Paul says, uh, Don't you realize or don't you know that when a runner runs the race, they all run to win, but only one does? Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty obvious. Only one person's going to win the prize. So Paul, when he says, don't you realize, he's saying some really, really obvious thing. Okay, Christian, here's a very obvious statement. Christ lives in you. The power of the Godhead lives in you. Now, the the thing is, is that the enemy is all about trying to distract us from us. So you say, okay, well, I get it. I've heard this. I remember it from Sunday school. You've brought it to my attention. There is this fact of God's presence. So what? Well, the, the point is, is that we act differently when, when, when we have someone with us. Have you ever noticed that? You just act differently when there's somebody with you. In fact, I have a little video that I, it's, it's a lot of fun. I just want you, to, want you to see what happens when nobody's watching us. Hey, this is Stoops with the Air Force Academy. And I got a story. Just about every day, it seems like I walk into this room and catch my roommate dancing to some retarded song. 
So I thought I'd try and catch him on camera, and uh, we'll see if he does it today. But uh, if you get to see it, it's going to be hilarious. You know, when no one's watching, you know? Now, here's, here's the spiritual connection. is that God is always watching, right? He's right there with us. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, that the, the presence of God could keep you from... That's fine. I mean, you sing in the shower, I sing in the shower. We, we all do. The point is not be buttoned down because God is always watching you. Be who God created you to be. But, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like the presence of God to provide moral reinforcement when you need it. You know what I'm saying? So, what I said was the enemy is all about trying to distract us or causing us to forget that God is with us. He's right there with us. So, so this is how, how that works. No one... Um, no one says, you know what, God is with me, and then curses a blue streak. Just nobody does that. Uh, nobody, says, uh, nobody says, God is here right with me, and then tells a bald-faced lie to their wife or to their boss. Uh, no one says, God is with me, and throws a temper tantrum in his house in front of the kids. Or no one's unfaithful to their spouse, saying, you know what, the presence of Jesus is right here with me. So it's, it's not like the presence of Jesus, this, this indwelling spirit is, is, is like a, a killjoy or a negative thing. It's a positive thing. God is right there with us to help us every step of the way. So when we face temptation, we never do it alone. That is an awesome thing. It's the fact of God's presence. The, the, the strongest thing we can do the strongest reason to keep ourselves pure is because God is right here with us. Notice uh, 
not just the fact of God's presence, but the locations of God's presence. It says, who lives in you. Now, we talked about this a lot last week, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about it today. But the fact of the matter is that God is in you. He is in your physical body. Verse 19 talks about this idea of the temple. Well, in the Old Testament, of course, God is everywhere, but he made his presence manifest in a temple. And so they built that temple, and in that temple was the holy place and the most holy place, and in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, and in the Ark of the Covenant uh, was where the presence and glory of God was demonstrated. It would fill the building. Uh, In the Gospels, Jesus, the presence of God, was with his disciples, but the glory of the new covenant is now the, the, the presence of Jesus, the presence and glory of God resides in you. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a danger that we have in compartmentalization. We say, well, um, so th- this is k- kind of what, what happens. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the, uh, the, walk, the, the March for Life was this week, right? What is the major argument of the, uh, of the, the, the choice movement? Well, it's, it's my body. I can do with it what I want. Is that true? No, no. The, 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 the danger that the, that the enemy puts before us is this idea that what I do with my body really doesn't matter. I can mistreat it. I can overeat. I, I can overindulge. It's really what's over on the spiritual side that's important. And the Corinthian church was all over that. That's exactly what they were doing. If you read in the previous passage, they were involved in immorality and the misuse of their physical body. Uh, and so whether it was in the, in the name of, of freedom or choice or recreation, uh, they said, well, this is just, uh, uh, just the body. It really doesn't matter. But the Bible goes counter to that and says, you know what? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It really does matter. And so... God's presence is right here with me. Now, what a great thing. You know, because God is with me, because God is in me, I can't ever really say that nobody understands me, can I? Because God's right here. I can't say, uh, uh, um, I can't say nobody knows how I'm feeling because God is in me. That nobody knows my struggles and temptations. God is with me. God knows my feelings, my struggles, my temptations, my thoughts, my motives. And he loves me just the same. God's presence is in me. That's its location. Notice the fact of God's presence, the location of God's presence, but also the source of God's presence. Because he says, that this end was given you, the Holy Spirit was given to you by God. The source given to us by God. So the Holy Spirit is God, and therefore, obviously, he, it, he comes from God. Now, what's the point of being a, 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 the source being from God? Well, not so much anymore, but years ago, maybe back in the early 2000s or so, uh, you could tell the quality of a vehicle by who made it. All right, I don't know if you, you remember this, but remember when Kia was junk? Now, I know a lot of you, and it's, it's a great car now, okay? But it used to be that the, and before that it was the, the back in the, in the 70s and all the Japanese cars were junk. 
And so, you know, like you you a Datsun, it would rust out before you even got it off a lot. Uh, not, not so much now. But it used to be back then, it was like, okay, Kia, eh, you know, you're kind of kind of stretching there. Um, uh, then, then came the American cars, they were like, eh. But if you, re- if you really wanted a car, you know, like the, 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 uh, the Hondas and the, and the Toyotas, and then maybe the, the next, the, the really upscale ones were the Mercedes, which none of us could afford anyway, right? So at, at that the, the source, you could tell by where it came from what, uh, what value it was. Well, here, here's something for us. Um, the source of the Holy Spirit is God himself. God himself says, I have a gift for you, and I'm going to give you myself. That's a high-quality gift. The source of God's presence. So we have this amazing gift. It's been placed within us, and it comes from God himself. Let's move on in this passage. Oh, that didn't quite come up there. The result of God's presence. You do not belong to yourself. You don't belong to yourself. Now, have you ever noticed that we generally take better care of things that don't belong to us? So in other words, if you loan me something, I'm, I'm going to take care of it. Uh, my parents had a, a, a 35-foot uh, Class C motorhome that early in our marriage, when we had young kids, they would loan us... Ooh, do that again. They would loan us, uh, and we would go on vacation... But I found in the end, I really, I didn't want to borrow it anymore because I'd borrow it, we'd use it for a week, we'd live in it with four small children, and then I'd have to clean it to give it back. And it was like, I spent more effort cleaning it to get it back. It's like, I'm just, we'll just figure something, something else out here. Why, why? Because there's just something in it that says, this doesn't belong to me. I need to take care of it. I need to, I need to take care of it. And so God says, reminds us that our bodies are not our own. So we should, we should take care of it. We should take care of it. God is the owner. Our body isn't our own. Our body isn't a choice. Uh, our life, our bodies are on loan. The best we can say is that we are stewards or managers. You're a renter, but you don't own it. God owns it all. The fact of God's presence, the location of God's presence, the source of God's presence, the result of God's presence. Let's move on. The price of God's presence. For God bought you with a high price. God bought you with a high price. What was the price that God paid? Jesus, right? That death of Jesus for us. Christ's blood purchased us. He cleansed us. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This is the price that God paid for you. One day, Jesus Christ laid down his life. He endured the sufferings and death and beatings that took him to the cross so that we could be free. That's the price that was paid. 
I was uh, listening to, uh, still getting used to the radio stations around here. I, I think it's like 106.7 or something. It's, it's up at the high end of the dial, and it's, it's a little more conservative, uh, although I like contemporary Christian music, too. I was listening to a song um, by uh, the Gettys. It's Sovereign Grace Music. This, these, and this was the chorus. Two wonders here I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. So the fact that we don't own ourselves, that we were bought, we were purchased, should instill kind of two competing uh, or, 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 uh, uh, facts to us. One is that we were not worthy the price that was paid. And yet that we are immensely worthy because that's what God thinks of us. And so let me, let me ask you this. Um, should any of us, because Jesus died on the cross and he buried and, and he paid the price for our sin and we're now his children, are any of, should any of us actually struggle with self-worth? I am of infinite value because of Christ. Because the price of God's presence in me, he bought us with his own precious blood. Notice with me lastly this morning, the purpose of God's presence So you must honor God with your body. You must honor God with your body. Now, um, not only do we not own our body, but we don't own our life. It all belongs to him. Life for a Christian goes so much deeper better when we realize that this life is not about me. It's about him. It's about me bringing honor and glory to him. So let's put this all together here for just a minute. This is how this works, okay? The fact of God's presence, the fact that he owns me, brings control. You know, God is with me, so I, I, I don't need self-discipline. I don't need, uh, because he is right here with me to reinforce me. He has provided all of that for me in Christ. The location of God's presence provides for me intimacy. He is in me. He knows me. He's with me. He understands me. The source of God's presence provides us with confidence. Hey, the Holy Spirit came from God. God is within me. There's nothing I can face that he, he is not equal to. Uh, the result of God's presence is ownership. He owns me. He owns all that I do, all that I am. It's all his. He just asks me to be a steward. The price of God's presence brings gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not worthy, but you have given me this amazing gift. The purpose of God's presence is that we would honor and glorify God with our body. Now, so take this, all right, and think of a situation in your life that you're currently struggling with and run it through this grid, all right? Let's say that uh, you just bought a new car and you take it out tomorrow and it gets T-boned. Bash! You're like, oh, oh man. Okay, in that moment, you're standing there with a wreckage and you have to call your husband or your, your husband and explain this whole thing. 
The fact that God with, is with you provides control. I, I don't have to melt down. I don't have to get upset. God's presence is here to reinforce me. He's right here with me, so he knows that I'm upset, and he understands and he cares. But you know what? God is with me, and his presence is with me, so I'm, I'm confident that he knows what he's doing and that he's going to work good out of his situation. His promises are good. And you know what? In fact, it wasn't my car to begin with. It was his. He owned it. So obviously, something is going on here, but I don't have to worry about it. And you know what? Um, it's just a car. God has given me way more than, and, and, and has, has blessed me with way more than that. He, he saved my soul. Really, what else? What else does he owe me? And so, Lord, I'm just trusting that out of this situation, you're going to bring honor and glory. See how that kind of reframes that whole thing? Uh, let, let's think of another, another uh, more, even more personal. Maybe um, there is some temptation that you're facing. Maybe it's a, a, a coworker at the office. Okay, let's run that one through this grid. Well, well you know, um, God is right here with me, so um, I'm going to be very careful with how I interact with this temptation. Because he's right here. Not, not, not to be a, to be a, be a scold, but to be, to be a reinforcement. So I'm not going to do anything that I wouldn't want with God's presence. You know, it always kills me. Um, people um, act like this place is more holy than, than it is. You know, I mean, it, 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 this is the, the church, but it's only the church because we're here, right? And, uh, and sometimes uh, people treat pastors different than they do other people too. So I've, I've often, I've, you know, uh, when I go on an airplane, I never tell anybody what I do. And then invariably they swear. And then invariably they find out and they say, oh, sorry, preacher. I was like, God's right here with us. It doesn't make any difference. So back to this temptation. Um, I'm going to be very careful because I know that God is right here with me. And in fact, you know what? God knows the longings of my heart. He knows the struggles that I face, and he is enough for all of that. And because God is with me, I have full confidence that there's no temptation taking me, but such as is common to man, God will provide a way out from this. I am confident in this, in this temptation. And you know what? This isn't my body anyway. These aren't my eyes, so I'm not, I'm not going to look. This isn't my mouth, so I'm not going to say anything. These are all things that belong to God, so I'm his. And thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for all of this and providing everything that I need in Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. God, it's my desire to honor you today in this temptation. If we will take the, our current, if we will kind of take this on board for our week, I believe that God will do amazing things in allowing us to live that life that he he knows that we want to live. It's God's presence, his spirit alive in us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this passage of scripture, which challenges us, but it also encourages us. Lord, I pray that we would have a recognition that we are 
that we belong to the Holy Spirit of God, that he lives within us, and that that recognition would provide us with power and authority and, and give us all that we need for life and godliness. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name as we continue to worship you. Amen.